When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to On the Preds with me, your host, Alex Darty of A to Z Sports and my co-host as always, Sean Smith of A to Z Sports. We are here to talk Preds and Preds hockey, so let's get to it. Sean, what is up? Oh man, just celebrating my son's birthday. Pretty exciting stuff. Big eight-year-old boy today. It is November 7th, November birthdays. I've got one of those for my daughter as well. So lots of lots of birthdays and festivities coming up. November's a fun month. Yeah, it is. Plus, you get Thanksgiving, and who doesn't who doesn't enjoy Thanksgiving? I'm, well, I love Thanksgiving these days. I yeah. used to hate it as a kid. Uh, Why? Like it now? Why'd you hate it hard, as a kid? Hard to explain. It was just like I, okay. I. It was very boring. A very boring holiday for a you know for an antsy you know eight year old. <laughs> yeah, I guess we got to see a lot of extended family, and I had a lot of cousins my age, so it was yeah. nice to kind of see all of them and. Food was pretty good too, so can't complain. Um, but uh, so we have to talk about the Preds because the Preds have been through a very strange week. I would say it's been a strange week. They are on a road trip, right? Yes. They are now. They after the end of this. Well, in the middle of this road trip, they are now five, six, and one, as you can see on the record on the uh, screen. There, they're in sixth place in the Central. I don't think that's really changed. Five, six, and one, still not a very good record. They have had three games on this road trip since um, we last did a podcast. Sean, you weren't here last week, but we, we did one anyways. It was a brief one. Um, but uh, since then, the Predators lost bigly to the Edmonton Oilers, uh, a bigly loss. And then they um, defeated the Calgary Flames four to one. And then they beat the uh, uh, Vancouver Canucks. In a shootout, yeah, in a uh, come from behind victory in Vancouver. Uh, they are still out west in Western Canada. They will go to Seattle on Tuesday, and then they will go to Colorado, which is not in mm, Canada. No, and neither is Seattle for that matter. No, it's close. Uh, yeah, they will go to call it Colorado next Thursday, and then they come back home for the Rangers on Saturday. But um, we got to talk about some of these games because. It, it, it started off just with one of the worst defensive performances and it gets to what I want to talk about this week in some adjustments because there was a, there's been a few defensive adjustments over the last few weeks that we haven't really talked a lot about. And, and one in particular has to do with Matias Ekholm, which I do want to talk about in a little bit, but um, that game on Tuesday against Edmonton, uh, you know, we could look back at, at the, at the you know, at the first, of the first loss of the year, I mean, I don't know that it, you could really find a worse one, but just in terms of the production and the the performance on the ice, it was so bad all around. I was not impressed, and I, I'll tell you the the result of that game. You know, it wasn't just a, a devastating blow to the team, and and realistically, a lot of the fans took it pretty hard too, because that that game right there was kind of like a uh, tipping point for the 
crowd that likes to call for the head of the coach and the head of the GM to really just ramp up intensity on those calls really early in the season. It got um, it, it definitely ramped up after that game. I yeah, would agree with you. It was, it was big time. I was I was expecting some kind of you know like uh, I don't know. So if they hadn't been on a road trip, I felt like people might have marched on Bridgestone or something. It was it was pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it it was it was like uh, I, even like especially because of the way that game went down. I mean, like they were down early. They were down four nothing or four one. Did they? I don't know. Maybe they were down. I know, and they were they were down like three nothing. No, it was no. I'm sorry. They that's right. They scored first. Matias Ekholm scored that goal. Thirty four yeah. seconds of the game, and Quick then goal. Edmonton just rolled. Four to one was the 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 score after the end of the first, and then it was five to two, and then it was final was seven to four. Yeah, um, yeah it, it was like by the end of that first period, people were like, it, you really saw an uptick in. Hines has got to go. David Boyle's got to go. I mean, you always see that. I mean, you you see a little bit of it even after like a bad shift. You'll see just yeah. like people pouring in and being like, Hines isn't the answer, you know. But it was pretty prominent um, um, during that game. So th- there were so many things that went wrong. I mean, I I tried to break some of it down on Twitter. It was there were there were b- breakdowns defensively all over the place, um, yeah. in transition on the penalty kill when Edmonton was cycling the puck, there was just nothing happening. Right. No. However, going into Thursday's game, the Calgary Calgary game, things looked a little better. They had a really good first period. And then like, they kind of just built on that. I I don't think there was anything specifically that like looked incredible in that game, but I I think that they just, they, they, they needed a game where they could just like play 60 minutes, uh, go up on a team that they could beat. You know, Calgary's not like, they're not Edmonton and the, you know, they're, they're obviously a really good team last year, but they're very different this year without Kachuk. Yeah. Big time. Um, they look, they look pretty different. So what did, what did you think of that Thursday game against Calgary? I think, I think the biggest thing for me, and <clears throat> I know it's funny because you have to really remember that everybody on the team has to play defensively. Right. Um, and yep. what, what you kind of saw or didn't see, I guess you could say in the game against Edmonton was it seemed like there were a lot of guys that were allowed on the Oilers to go behind the net and make these great passes to the slot, um, that resulted in goals. And what I noticed immediately against Calgary was that if somebody dared go behind the net with, with possession of the puck, there was a, uh, I don't want to say gold jersey because it's a road game, but there was a Preds jersey yeah. on that man. Um, nobody was really able to get anything out from behind the net. It was like they kind of had a return back to that mentality of they're going to have to work for everything they get. And you mm-hmm. saw everybody buy in, you know, from the defenders all the way up to the forwards. Um, just if somebody was going to go back there and go in one of those spots with the puck, they were going to get smashed and they were going to have – a rough time getting the puck back out clean. Yeah. It, uh, the, the other thing that's curious about that Calgary game. So that was the first game that, that they brought in Jordan gross. Right. So they made the change. They, so remember that they have the, uh, they wave. Um, Sherwood. Sherwood. Thank you. They wave Sherwood and they call up, a number am i am i right in that jordan gross didn't play against the oilers right I, I'm, I'm pretty sure on that. I, I don't think so but uh, i mean it, it's been 
when the games start as late as they were, it's hard, it's hard to remember everything. No, yeah, that was the next day. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah for sure would play against the Oilers. And then they waved him the next day. Then Thursday – yeah, that's right. Thursday is when they call up uh, Jordan Gross. I'm, I'm, I was correct. So, thir- Thursday, Jordan Gross makes his Preds debut. Uh, and I think, like, most people were pretty surprised that it was Jordan Gross. I mean, I know I was. I don't we're, think – we're, we're thinking of Jankowski on the forward call-up. That's what that, – uh, yeah, that's what I think – wait, what now? Uh, forward call up after they waved Sherwood was was Jankowski. Gross was a defender. Yeah, no, I know, the, but they, but they've had they've had. When did they get Jordan Gross up? I thought they called him up as soon as they put Borvietsky on IR. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But I don't know if he played in that game either. I just the, uh, the big difference maker in that right. Calgary game that I th- I think we're going for here is Jankowski. That's right. So Jordan Gross came. Yeah, no, he he debut, He didn't he didn't play until so Jankowski and Jordan Gross both played in that game on Thursday against. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was their first their first two games. So Jankowski, yeah, that's right. Jankowski debuts against his old team, scores a goal. Uh, but the Jordan Gross edition, you know, like him playing in that game was, I think, surprise, you know, to some people. But that, you know, whatever. It, it, the, but then he plays pretty well against Vancouver and. Yeah. surprises you know it, it was even on the power play both games i think yeah um, so uh but jankowski i you know i i think I mean, he's had a pretty good season in milwaukee uh mm-hmm. centering I, I working as a center and um you know he scored some goals i know he scored against calgary i mean how long is that gonna last you know is he gonna make one mistake and then be benched forever <laughs> Is he going to go the way of Tommy Novak? Like he's going to come in and play a few real good games and then we'll never see him again? Yeah, just buried in Milwaukee. Man. So, but, um, okay, so then the Vancouver game, so Preds win 4-1 to one against Calgary. Vancouver game, you know, they go down, it looks like kind of back to normal. They go down, they're, they're down pretty early, and then they go down 3-1 mm. uh, <clears throat> at the end of the, oh, no, sorry, 3-0 at the end of the first. And I think they have, two shots on goal maybe three, three shots on yeah maybe three, two yeah. or three shots on goal at the end of the first it was really bad jordan gross gets a power play goal and then he ties it no he gets the second goal on a uh, offensive zone face off shoots one from the blue line it goes in and then nino niederreiter a couple minutes later ties it up after um and we're actually going to take a look at that goal here in a little bit Ooh. but uh, Niederreiter gets his sixth goal. It's been a while since he scored, and then they uh, they play pretty tight in the in the third qu- in the third period. They they finish it out, get get to the overtime, uh, some chances in the overtime, and then a shootout victory. Um, Duchesne scores the only goal, and then Bo Horvat just forgets to use the puck, and UC Soros makes the save. That was that was intense. I can't. Yeah. Oh man! I, every time. Every time that the Preds go into a shootout, I think of, I believe it was Brad Marchand going in for a, a, a and just whiffing yeah. on even picking up the puck. And that just, I think about that every time. I'm like, oh, I can't imagine the embarrassment someone would feel and like how embarrassing it would be like as, as a team or even as a fan of a team to have that happen because you know yeah. that's going to be some, some guy that covers the team is going to put that all over social media and make a big deal out of it. And, Gosh, how embarrassing! I just think 
don't don't do that don't don't be that yeah. guy and then sure enough it was it was Bo Horvat of all people was to to make that fatal mistake so <laughs> so that clinches Yikes. the uh yeah right exactly that clinches the win for the predators um the the shootout win all right and so that's where they are and so since since the last show they've gone two and two one and oh which is kind of surprising a pretty good streak for them uh considering how this season has gone but yeah um so they've they've been adjusting a lot of things. They they've they've been moving players around. I know that the forwards, you know, I, I want to cover the defense here in a minute about one particular shift that's happened. Uh, but um, from the forward perspective, I mean, like th- there's been so much line shuffling, I can't even keep up. I know that Johansson and Forsberg played again together. Granlund was with Duchesne and uh, Zach Sanford at some point, and then Jankowski jumps in there and he's with. You know, Tanner know it's like Sissons, the, the herd line gets disrupted. Michael McCarron's somewhere in there. Of course, Cole Smith is lifetime contract, so he's there. I'm not sure. I mean, what, what what's going on with the Fords? Like, there's no real consistent line right now. Well, uh, you, the one thing that really, you know, no matter what seems to happen, except for like one little, like, uh, lost weekend there in the 60s or something, um, you're going to see, you've been seeing at least, you've been seeing the first line of uh, Mikhail Granlin, Duchesne, and Forsberg, and the third line, Herd line. Um, it really, a lot of the shifting you see still continues to be between the fourth and the second, <laughs> which, you know, it's it's the question of, okay, what kind of identity do you want that fourth line to have? Because I think anybody who, I don't want to say follows the team, but anyone who follows the team with a little more than just a passing interest should be readily aware that there are some fairly good options for forwards that could come in and score while still being defensively responsible that could fill out that fourth line. But we continue to see Michael McCarron, like you said, Cole Smith, lifetime contract. Um, they're, they're there every night. Um, sometimes they have a new line mate. Sometimes McCarron's on the wing. Sometimes he's the center. Um, but the, the big move I think that's, that's kind of stuck is moving Zach Sanford up to the second line okay. with Johansson and Niederreiter. Um, and really, you know, when they made that change, I think there was a lot of – it was right in the middle of the uh, the Firehinds debacle after the uh, Edmonton loss, which was – I mean, I'm pretty sure that the Facebook page is joking half the time, but I feel like most of it wasn't joking anymore at yeah. that point. But there was a lot of outcry about Zach Sanford playing on the second line and what a bad call it was. But I, I really think that Sanford hasn't been um, – the liability that a lot of people think he is. And I'm sure someone could look at stats and tell me why I'm wrong, but um, I think he's played solidly on that second line with them. I know that he's not putting up big numbers, but I, I don't notice him. And I think that's at this point until they're willing to make a commitment to really getting a, a highly skilled offensive player on that second line wing. Um, that's the best you can kind of hope for is somebody that you don't notice being bad night in and night out. And I think Sanford's done that. Um, that's probably not a very popular opinion. I still see a lot of complaints no, about it, but I, I, I think I think the problem is it the the consistency from one player to the next uh, with, with regards to what they're trying to develop these players into. Okay, so right. Zach Sanford stepping stepping into a top six role. I would agree he's not looked terrible. He's not been a, a liability. But he hasn't done much either. Like he hasn't. No. I mean, 
he he's not he's not wowed me at least. I mean, he, he hasn't he hasn't really stood out. But then you take someone like a Cody Glass who seems to be doing more good than bad, has like one shift where John Hines says he looks like he was scared to make a mistake, and we've like not seen him since basically, and yeah. that's a guy that needs to play. I mean, again, Zach Sanford, okay, fine. Why isn't Cody Glass in there? Why isn't Ellie Tolvanen in there? Ellie Tolvanen pretty much stuck in the lineup all year last year because he was like solid defensively, even though yeah. he couldn't really produce offense. Well, seems like nothing, it, nothing much saying. changed. I mean, he's still kind of is producing or he's still producing at the same level, really. And then yeah. defensively, it seems okay, but but he's been just out. And so it's the consistency. Like, why does Zach Sanford and Cole Smith? And Michael McCarron, why are they getting these like opportunities that 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 these other players are who need the time? Not to mention the the Tomasinos and then the the potential down in Milwaukee. Like, I'm fine with Jankowski getting a shot. I mean, obviously he he made an impact pretty quickly, but <clears throat> it just the consistency is so bizarre. It it's it it is odd, and you you look at John Hines historically. Even with the Devils, it seems like he heavily favored um, his veteran players and had a very short leash when it came to younger talent. Even when that talent seemed to be um, more highly skilled or to have more upside, he'd rather play uh, Michael McCarron because with Michael McCarron, you know exactly what you're going to get um, than putting in someone like. Phil Tomasino or Ellie Tolvanen, even though Tolvanen, like you said, played pretty much the whole season last season. Um, so it, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense other than there's just this inherent trust in veterans that yeah. it's not there for younger guys. And there's obviously something that he's looking for them to prove. I don't know what that is specifically, but he's looking for them to prove something to say like, okay, this is a guy that I can count on. I don't know what that benchmark is, but, you know, you hear things about Fabro, you hear things about Tolvanen, even Carrier's that they're, they're looking for them to make that next step. Okay. Yeah. So is it because we know Michael McCarron doesn't have a next step that we're willing to continue playing him? Because it would seem like the best way for someone to make the next step would be to play more, but that's not yeah. happening. Yeah. No, knowing what you, knowing what you're going to get is, is, uh, a very big part of Heinz philosophy when it comes to playing time, when it comes to starting lineups, that's a big part of it. Um, I want to get to the defense. I want to talk about Matias at home specifically. I've got some video for that. But before we do that, speaking of uh, knowing what you're going to get, if you go to relax the back in Nashville, Ooh. specifically the store over at 2020 Glen Echo road, you know what you're going to get. And that is, the very best uh, customized comfort options for the office, for relaxing at home, for sleeping at night. If you want to live better, feel better, and sleep better every day, you've got to go to Relax the Back. I've got a picture here. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can see exactly what this looks like. You've got some nice uh, techno gel beds with some nice uh, contoured pillows. Uh, you can see in the background there's some wedge systems for the, for the beds in the background there on the left. Beautiful new store. They just renovated their store. It looks fantastic. On the right there of your screen, you can see their incredibly sophisticated 
massage chairs. These are Ooh. not your, these are not these cheap uh, massage chairs that you're going to see in the, in the Opry Mills mall where you put a quarter in and you get a little jolt. No, these are legit massage chairs. They're going to get the job done and they're all at relax the back there in green, uh, 2020 Glen Glen echo road in Nashville. <clears throat> like I said, sleep options, office, everything. You just got to check it out. It's in green Hills. Go there. Talk to uh, Glenn. He owns the store. They've got a sleep agent on hand every day to tell you exactly the way that you need to be sleeping in order to uh, solve your pain issues that you're having. Uh, and of course you will also learn about the four pillars of wellness, healthy sleep, healthy body, healthy work, and healthy mind. Okay. Um, I want to just jump into it because there's been a, a pretty big shift in the, the Predators' defense, uh, specifically with Matthias Ekholm. So if you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw me tweet about this earlier tonight. Um, I spent probably two hours today looking at some, uh, just watching old games. I watched a good bit of Vancouver again, a good bit of Calgary. I went back and watched some older games um, because I wanted to, to, to figure out if the switch for Matthias Ekholm. So if you remember, Matthias Ekholm started the year with Ryan McDonough, and he switched to the right side. That lasted seven games. Before the Blues game, he switched back, and he was on the left side playing with Fabro or Carrier, Car Carrier, one of the two. Um, <clears throat> Fabro and Carrier have switched around between him and It alternated, uh, yeah. A lot, so uh, and, and Lozon and McDonough. So, um, so, but Ekholm has switched. I think probably for the foreseeable future, back to the left side. And so I wanted to kind of look and see exactly why, because I, you know, I I feel like I've talked about this a lot, but I, I also feel like it has been a huge difference, and it's been one of the big adjustments that the Predators have made over the last, you know, over the first course of the season. And so there's been five games since uh, since they made that change. The, the the Blues game was the first one. Um, seven, so we're comparing seven games to five games. So it's not a ton of time, but I think it's probably just enough to know that there's a big difference. First of all, let me give you some numbers. These aren't going to be on your screen or anything, but I want to give you some numbers. First of all, uh, with... With Ekholm on the left, on the right side, the first seven games of the year, with him on the right side, his on ice numbers: forty six percent shot attempt, uh, shot attempt share, so below what you'd want it. Forty eight percent, forty eight point nine percent expected goals, forty eight percent high danger chances. So, giving up a lot of shot attempts, giving a lot of uh, up higher quality shots, and giving up a lot of high danger shots and giving them up more than he's getting them in the last five games, his shot attempt share goes all the way up to 60% from 46 to 60%. That's a gigantic jump, huge improvement. Expected goals goes up even higher from 48 to 66%. So 66% of the time, two thirds of the time that he's out there, there's more of a, the, the, the Preds expected goal share is higher, um, considerably higher. I think I said that wrong, but you get the, you get what I'm saying. 50 and the high danger shots, uh, sorry, high danger shot attempts, 56% from 48 to 56. Huge increases. We're talking like these are, this is not just minuscule little numbers. Yeah. These are massive increases. And here's why. And so I want to show you guys, I, I've got some clips here. I've got several clips to show. Uh, the first one that I want to show you is one of the 
a really bad shift from earlier in the season. And this is uh, against Dallas. This is the first Dallas game. So that was like a 4-1 mm. loss, I think. So let me just show this one first. Watch Ekholm specifically. He's on the right side. And notice specifically that every time he gets the puck, he's on his backhand, and it's just not going well. Denning, he sends it across, looking for Kiviranta. He's bumped up. Ekholm tries to dish it out. Backs it collects. Down below the goal line, sends it across ice. Here it is. Miller slides across. Haskinen has it on his stick. Back to Miller. Miller with the long shot, doesn't get through as it hits Faxa. Sherwood is stripped of the puck and the Stars continue to work away. Faxa up top, there's a blast by Miller, now right in front, but Soros gets a stick on it and pokes it out to the stick of Ekholm. Soros doing a good job clearing his... Okay, so there's a lot there, but basically every time that the puck came to him, he's either got the puck on his backhand or... The guy's going around him on the outside and he has to defend on his backhand. Yeah. It's just a, it's a really bad, it's a misadvantage, right? It's a, it's a, a, a disadvantage for, for Ekholm there and it ends in an icing. So like, that's just one clip. There's so many more. I mean, there, there's so many situations that he got in where he's on his backhand. He can't clear it right. He's you know, it's a, either a misplay or he, you know, he can't turn and go because he's not on his forehand. Uh, speaking of turning and going, here's what, here's another example uh, showing how breaking out for him on that right side is just so much harder. Remember, Ekholm's a big dude. He's a big dude. He can get he's can get speedy when he gets going, but he with a big frame, he's got he needs some needs some runway, right? So he when he's on his backhand, it makes it that much harder. And you'll see that here. This is on a faceoff win. Right. Marshman too, he'll open up the ice for Sagan. He'll give him more time and more space to be creative, and that's that's what he's good at, is creating plays and finding guys, and having a big guy like that on your wing opens up ice for you. There from the lines, a long shot up the stick of McDonough. It was directed in front. Puck cleared back in the Predators zone, and McDonough's on it, gives it away. There's a quick shot by Guriana, but it's turned aside. Yeah, a rare turnover that. there. So you could even see there the the how the Ekholm having to pinch so far up like that gave McDonough a tough time on that on that yeah. shot attempt and then but you know the the biggest part of that is the breakout at the very beginning the the breakout they win the face off McDonough's pass is not very good it gets to him really softly he can't really do much with it he has to dump it in so not a great chance all right so now let's look at him on the left side so let's watch this one first and this is going to be a goal so this is a breakout. This is Ekholm on his left side. This is a play that they almost always do with Roman Yossi, but it works with Ekholm too. And this is this is a goal from uh, from Saturday. Talked about the high event games they've been playing lately. That's why you're never out of a hockey game against a team that doesn't defend well. Ekholm trying to turn the corner. Here comes Niederreiter. Same thing. Rebound. Score. Nino Niederreiter ties it up. The Predators are back in it. Three on answer. So, oh, I should have kept it playing because I think I had the replay too. But the, the, the big, you know, one of the reasons that play happens, I mean, Niederreiter, great job going to the net. But him, him able to go into the zone with speed like that on his forehand, he's able to shield the guy with his body. He can keep the puck on the outside. And that's why he could get behind the net and send it to the front for Niederreiter to get it. I mean, that's like... That's that's how the Predators generate offense right there. That's that's what they need to be doing. I mean, that's 
that right there is what Roman Yossi does. And Ekholm is a, you know, just a kind of a, not as good of a version as Yossi, but he kind of does the similar, similar thing. All right. I promise I'm almost done. One more. Um, actually two more. It's not a two more. I'm just kidding. Uh, oh no. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. Here's some good defense. Here's some good defense. Uh, on his left side on the forehand is another one here. In for a loose puck. He'll play it to the left of Lane. A race for the puck now. Jankowski get a, gets a stick on it. Cole Smith down there. Jankowski able to clear it. McCarran will charge after Zadorov, and now he'll. So there you can see it. Like he's on hand both times. Now he doesn't make con solid contact every time, but when your forehand's more forgiving, right? If you're on your backhand, yeah. and you don't make solid contact, you're not doing much at all. So like yeah. he's on his forehand, he's able to get a good outlet pass there, get the puck out of danger. Really easy play for him, much more comfortable. Here's one more, and now this is not an easy play, but this is really, really good skill from him. There's no way he does this if he's on the other side. He cannot do this play if he's on the other side. It's really quick. It's going to be at the bottom of your screen. It's a, it's a, an attempted chip in around him, and he just gets there. He, there's no, he can only do this on his forehand. By Sissons, cutting to the net. Heard on their game, though. That's good to see. Been a little inconsistent so far. I'm going to play that again. By Sissons cutting to the net. Heard on their game though, and that's good to see. Been a little inconsistent so far. See how he kind of just seals off the wall there? Like he, yeah. he gets he gets to that little chip in, and if if he doesn't get there, it's in on that uh, attacker who probably has a little lane to the goal. Uh, like, but the way the puck's going on the on the wall there, like if you're on your backhand, like that's that's almost an impossible play. You can only mm -hmm. get that if he's on his forehand. So, those are some good examples of why I think that why those numbers are so much better. Why he's so much better on his left side, and I, I think that's I think he'll I think he'll stay there. I hope so. I mean, you can tell a big difference. Have I, have I convinced you? Is that is that good enough video evidence? Yeah. Let me let me say this, and this I'm I'm not going to make this take a long time, but I, I do want to address something here, and, and this this has to do with your your status um, as as a beer league legend. Um, do you do you shoot right or left? I'm a right hander. You're right hander. Right okay. Now I I understand, and I'm not just saying this because we work together and we're friends, but I understand why you reference your your beer league experience, and and that's because. I think a lot of people say that, oh, because I'm so good at hockey, I know all this stuff. But the reality is playing the game versus watching the game allows you to understand yeah. so much more than just watching. And I say that as someone who's never played, but I, I have a freshly minted eight-year-old who's been yeah. playing. And he's, he's a lefty. So, you know, we go to practice. I watch practice. His coach is right-handed. So his coach demonstrates things right-handed and they'll split the kids into two groups, one on the right side of the ice, one on the left. Whenever he lines up over on that right side, he's just kind of looking like, what? How, how is everybody else doing this? Because I'm yeah. like playing into the wall. I've got to do everything on my backhand and he yeah. just doesn't have control. As soon as you say, Hey kid, go over on the left side of the ice and join that group. It just makes sense. And it clicks yeah. and he can go and go over and play on the right side after he understands the concept of what he's supposed to do because he's done it on his correct side. But 
until he does that, that connection's not made. And so when you think about the fact that if you're a left-hander playing on the right side, you're basically your open, you know, blade of your stick is facing into the wall when you're advancing. That makes everything harder because you have to make every pass either out in the open, away from the wall, unprotected, or from your backhand against the wall. So in, yeah. in your defense, beer league wise, I get why you bring that up and I understand why you bring that up. But me just watching someone coaching eight-year-olds, I mean, I get that. So when I see that brought to life, you know, people say, well, Ekholm played on the right side before. Why is it such a struggle? I think you've just given, um, you know, a, a picture for everybody to see and understand. So I think that was really good. Yeah. So I, I think here, here's the other thing. I, I want I want to caution people to think about this differently than, okay, so it's this is not excuse making. This is not like, um, uh, and also it's not like we're trying to cover up. It's not like the coaches are trying to cover up some hole in Ekholm's game. This is similar to any 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 player in the NHL, and it it, it has to do with look the margins for error in the NHL are paper thin. Like yeah. you need every millisecond of time to make a play happen and make it play make that play at the right speed and the right um, strength and and timing and everything has to be exactly right in order to make some plays. Like everything down from getting a, an outlet pass timed correctly onto the tape of, of an attacker to uh, getting the angle of your shot and the timing of your shot just right. So that the goalie is just slightly out of position. Like that's, what's really hard by the way, Cody glasses goal earlier in the year against, I think it was St. Louis. Um, uh, maybe no, it wasn't St. Louis, uh, whatever it was that goal where he came into the zone and had a little slight hesitation in his shot and, and scored kind of in transition. It was, it was St. Louis. Was no, it wasn't St. Louis. That doesn't matter. I think, uh, I think you're right, but it's okay. I think people know what I'm talking about. Where he kind of entered the zone, got a little angle on the shot, got the shot on uh, into into the goal. It, it was Los Angeles, I think. No, dang it, I can't think of it. Um, that is what I'm talking about because he had a little slight hesitation. It was like kind of an in between snap wrist shot that gave him just enough time. There's so many of those things that happen uh, in in a game. So when when you are talking about a hockey player that has, I mean, we all know forehand control easier than backhand control. Like it's just, that's how it works. But when you're talking about a player like Ekholm, who is not Kale McCarr, he's not Roman Yossi. He's still good, but he's not like, he can't make up for those little small milliseconds of time with speed and athleticism. Like those guys can, or even like, you know, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of players who are better than Ekholm, but I'm just saying, like, it's not just that he's like some some uh, scrub or something. He's a very good player, but his particular style is like it needs to have um, here. He needs to be in the right kind of place in order for it to work. Um, the other thing I was gonna say is, uh, handedness is not something that co- handed coaches think about handedness all the time. Like they think about it a lot. They they need to think about at least, or if they don't, they need to because they need to think about angles especially on the power play like that's why Duchesne plays on the right side there because he can pull up and he can have a better shot Forsberg for whatever reason he can kind of go on either side because his wrist shot is so good he can kind of shoot from he can create that angle kind of from from both sides Yossi almost always better on the the right side of the power play because he can get that slap he can get that one-timer going um 
I mean, handedness is something that, like coaches just kind of naturally are like, well, we're going to have to have this a, a left-handed shot like a Duchesne. We're going to have to have him here. We're going to have to have a, a righty like uh, Colton Sissons down the middle because uh, he works best with Trent, with Trennan on the left. It, the, handedness is not something that people should ignore. It is very important. No. Um, half the time when people see on the, on the screen, when they watch – this drives me crazy. And if you go to a game, the people who yell shoot on the power play, half the time when people get so mad about that, there inevitably there will be a someone who's not in a great position to shoot and is on their backhand, and they're like, shoot. I mean, I, I don't understand what people I mean, I guess people just don't really think about it like that, but they need to. Like you need to think about, okay, if everyone just shot the puck immediately when it was like possible. You, you would be looking at a very inept hockey team. Like you need yeah. to create chances and angles and, and, you know, different kind of looks at the net in order to get goals. That's how that has to happen. And, and the other thing I was going to say, uh, I know I've already said a lot, but okay. The avalanche, the Oilers, all their, all of their goal scoring, all their, all their stuff that happens. They are, a speed like it's, it's all about speed so like handedness really doesn't really come into play as much uh you could probably watch Connor mcdavid play 100 games and not even realize what handed what whether he shoots right or left-handed right because he's so fast he just yeah. every single play is about speed and puck handling for him so like most of his goals are just like crazy deeks and he's just passing the puck in the net so if you have enough speed, you can make up for it. But like you know, Ekholm's not that fast, so like he needs that extra time. So what I what I hear you saying, and I I mean I will have to say I agree with you is that until you kind of understand all of the very small intricacies of you know what actually makes a good shot versus a bad shot or a shot you should take or maybe even let's say a high danger chance. <laughs> Versus a low danger chance. Yeah. Um, it's it's silly to just start shouting shoot. Correct. And that's and- it's I don't think that's necessarily an indictment of anyone. I think it's just most people, I would say, you know, you, you take a take a sport like baseball, take a sport like football, take a sport like basketball. It's very accessible. I think it, a lot of people have experienced playing those games, but I would say there's a large percentage of, of fans, e- even in Canada, even of some of the bigger teams that have never played and mm. don't know that. So it's not, you know, oh, this person doesn't know what they're talking about as much as it's just that's not something they've experienced. And I think until you've experienced it at that level, um, it just makes sense that, well, they should be shooting. But- yeah. What, what, here, I, should, I should probably also mention this. It's not like Ekholm, you know, when he switches from right to left, it's not like he's stapled to the left side of the ice and he can't go over. Right. right? It's not, it's not, it, that's not how it works. He's mostly on the left, but like there's plenty of times, especially if there's a, a, a shift change, especially if they have the long shift, the second period and they have a long shift uh, or, or, or a situation where there's been a penalty kill and he's been on there for a while, but, or, or he's, he's just coming on, you know, there, there's times where like he's going to switch to the side. So it, it's not like you know you could watch a lot of uh, if you watched only Ekholm on Tuesday's game against Seattle, he's going to mostly be on the left, but you're going to see him go to the right a lot. I mean, he's going to he's going to move on to the right because that's where the play is, or he's got to switch over there because his partner's still coming on. Like there, there's times where it, it's not exactly like it's not rigid, it's not that rigid, but um, generally speaking, they're going to be kind of in this area, right? So 
that's that's the other thing people have to, to think about. Um, the other thing I would say is like I, I don't know that people people everyone watches hockey differently, right? I mean, some people only want to see fights. I mean, some people only want to see hits and fights. That's what they want to see. And then like when they don't win, they're like, why didn't they win? They did all the hits and the fights. That why didn't they win? Uh, I guess they didn't hit or fight well enough. So people watch hockey differently. This is how I watch it. I look for things to like try to break down and see what's see what's working and see what's not. Um, but because we we you know this team has been so bad early on, it's like you got to find like we got to figure out what's happening. What 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 is going on with this team? And and the good thing is I think they've adjusted to into a better situation. I think moving forward the defense should be better. No, I agree, and I I think that's the thing is. <laughs> I made the comment after I think after they won um, against uh, the game they won, first game they won after Calgary game that's yeah. it and they won the Calgary game you know I said it, it wasn't so much the the like the lineup like forward wise that won that game for them as much as it was the way they adapted to play the game um, yeah. which I think sounds I mean maybe it sounds kind of stupid but. Um, you know, it's not like, oh, Hines found the right lineup and the right defensive pairs, so they won the game as much as yeah. it was. The guys that were out there on the ice were, God, this is exactly what John Hines would say, in a position and played the game in such a way to put themselves in the best position to win. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of what it comes down to a lot of nights. Yeah. I mean, you, either team can win on any night. I mean, it's not, you know <laughs> – Playing a game against the Oilers, for example, you've got to play a little differently than you play against Calgary because the Oilers are very and, fast. And that's, that's the part of the, of the John Hines coaching tenure so far that has been the most confusing and, and frustrating, I would think, because, like, what did they think? I mean, uh, they, they, they knew what kind of team the Oilers are, and, and they just completely – I don't know. It's, it, there, there seemed to be no, no – um, strategy attempted to stop them you know i, I don't yeah. know it, it, it seemed seemed really seemed really poor uh on, on tuesday and then you know like we've already talked about why is cody glass not playing why is ellie tolvin not playing those are skilled players get them in the lineup you know is is cody glass not putting himself in a position to uh to play the game the way it needs to be played or whatever that whatever you said <laughs> I don't even think I could repeat it right now, but that's, I mean, that's a valid question is it, it seems strange to me and I, we're back at this topic, but it seems yeah. strange to me that, um, that just somehow miraculously Cody Glass, Ellie Tolvanen, Dante Fabro, Alex Carrier just don't know how to, can't get the job done anymore. All yeah. of a sudden it's, it's very bizarre. And I, you know, I don't know, but at least the guys that they're putting in are working into the system and they're playing against teams there that that style and that approach can work. And it has worked. I mean, granted, you know, we talk about a two game win streak. You know, you're really looking at a one game win streak followed by a two period rough as hell streak and then a pretty decent third and an overtime that just kind of worked out. But, yeah. um, you know, it's those were the guys that were kind of called in to, to play in place of some of those other guys. And it's worked and i um, curious to see what it looks like moving forward. I know that like we said earlier, Heinz will stick with the veterans when given the opportunity. And right now, some of those guys, even though they may not be um, may not have as potential offensive upside are getting the job done. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, um, 
They play Seattle on Tuesday. Seattle is seven, four, and two. So Seattle has doing figured out some things. They seem to be uh seem to be okay. Jaden Schwartz is over there scoring some goals. Oh, Matty Beneers. They have Matty Beneers uh up and he's wow, he's playing pretty well. I've not watched a single second of the Seattle Kraken this year, so I, I do not really even remember that they have some of these guys. Yeah, um, no. Uh, who is their goalie? Let's find that out. Uh, oh, they have Martin Jones. That's right. Oh, Martin Jones. That's right. The, the guy that just somehow continues to still be employed despite his sub 900 career save percentage. Oh, it's over. It, it, it's 907 now. Okay. I guess he's, uh, he's been at 900 for like a long time. <laughs> well, he's, um, he's just trying to show you, show, prove you wrong. Alex. Martin Jones is not a good goaltender. I do not understand how he's made so much money. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then, and then the big test Thursday, Colorado, I I'm anticipating a repeat of the Oilers game. I'm anticipating a repeat of the four game sweep. Anything less than that would be a win for Nashville. And I mean, like if they lose two to nothing, like that's an improvement. If they just don't give up seven goals, that's fair. That's fair. They, they need to they need to improve the way they play against those kind of teams. They they're yeah. probably not going to win on Thursday. I don't anticipate that, but they need to look better. They need to pre- present better against the Avalanche than they did against the Oilers or against the Abs anytime last week. So, yeah, there you go. I think you're right. All right, that is going to do it for our show today. Thanks everyone for. Uh, listening and uh you can check out of course all of our preds coverage at a to z sports.com check it out there until then follow me on twitter at alex one follow sean on twitter at scsnsh uh and we will see everyone next week <laughs>